for calling. Please leave a message. Hello, this is Maria. I became a lawyer because I thought I could make a real difference in the world. But lately, my work has felt pretty meaningless. I'm tired of working long hours and dealing with difficult clients. And I don't know if I can keep doing this for the rest of my career. I worked really hard to get where I am. I don't want to give up on this, but it's just not working for me anymore. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh no. Does the idea of going back to work on Monday morning strike fear in your heart? Sometimes work gets so exhausting. Even a long weekend doesn't feel long enough. When you have too much to do, you can't wrap your head around the tasks at hand. You're dreading having to meet with your coworkers. The sound of an incoming email makes you wanna cry. Now we all know what's going on here. Basically, you're burnt out. But burnout can be avoidable. Well, if not avoidable, at least you can manage it better. I'm Dr. Steven Stein. I'm a clinical psychologist and founder of MHS, a leading developer of innovative scientific assessments in the talent development space and beyond. I'm here to tell you that work sucks sometimes. It does. I can admit it, but it doesn't have to. In work therapy, we speak with experts from diverse backgrounds, helping us wade through some of the most common issues people have on the job. We learn how to go beyond just surviving at work and learn how to start thriving. Because if work sucks, how can we fix it? Hey, Michael, it's uh, great to meet you, and thank you for coming along and doing this podcast with us. Good to meet you too, Steve. And it's, uh, I really appreciate having, having the opportunity to talk to you about all these important issues. Well, today we're talking about the burnout epidemic, and it seems to be something that you know a lot about. Why don't you start off by telling us how you got involved in that? What got you engaged with this topic? Was it a specific work experience or a story you heard, or how did you get involved in burnout? Well, long time ago, I was, uh, I was doing some, some work with a residential mental health facility. And uh, one of the issues there was a lot of tension between psychiatry and psychology within this particular organization, which I gather was not unique to this one institution. <laughs> but as I was working with them, you could see that uh, it was really taking a toll on people. It was sort of like built into the fabric of the place. And people like a particular one psychologist who you know, I was a very experienced and adept uh, clinical psychologist, and he decided to leave all of that to go open a bed and breakfast in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, rather than continue on with this profession. And I thought it was very striking to have put so much into preparing for this this career, which it has a real impact on people. It can be very, very rewarding. But to get to a point because of the way the work was structured, that he went out of there. In the midst of that time, I came upon the first article written by Christina Maswak and Susan Jackson on job burnout that they wrote in the Journal of Organizational Behavior. And I said, oh, this is what's going on here. And so um, I had a sabbatical coming up from my university here in Nova Scotia, Acadia. And so I just phoned Christina out of the blue. 
and uh, she answered the phone. And, and, and uh, I said, I'd like to come out and work with you for this year. And she said, oh, fine. I've got an office for you. Let's work on burnout. So I went out and uh, we worked together that year. We, worked, we wrote our first article together on coworker and supervisor relationships and their relationship to burnout. Uh, that was our first article together in the 1980s, and we've been writing together ever since. That's very impressive. I mean, Christina Maslach is considered one of the originators of the whole concept of burnout. So what a, what a lucky uh, opportunity for you to get to spend that time working with her. So yes, your new book is called The Burnout Challenge. And how did that book come about? You're working with that with Christina. Right. We had been working together a lot. We wrote, I guess our first book that got a lot of traction in the 1990s was The Truth About Burnout. The 90s are 25 years ago now. And so we thought, one, there's a lot that's happened in the meanwhile. And also we're at a point in our career where it's time to write something that pulls together, you know, the wisdom of all of that, um, you know, work together those thoughts over the years. Then, uh, you know, then we connected with people at Harvard University Press, and they thought, well, that was an opportune time for such a book. And then um, that became our pandemic writing project. And, uh, and, and the pandemic brought burnout much more into the focus of the larger world. No better timing for that than during the pandemic. We're seeing burnout practically everywhere we look. So the name of this show is called Work Therapy. When work sucks, how can we fix it? So let me ask you, why why does work suck so much? And what can we do to prevent people from getting burnout? I think sort of a fundamental kind of intrinsic problem is that workplaces are designed largely, well, to produce what the people in charge of the workplaces want it to produce. Um, they're not primarily thinking about people, their psychological needs, their poor motivations, the aspirations that people are bringing to work. They're not thinking about that so much. They're thinking about other kinds of ideas that they think of in terms of productivity. And so there is this mismatch that happens between people and work. And people are looking for a lot from their workplaces these days. And uh, each generation that comes through is looking for a higher standard of concern, of responsiveness, of, of value realization. And the workplaces are behind the pace. There are, some are you know, scrambling to try to uh, keep, keep it on, on the edge of that wave, but it's, 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 uh, they're not quite there yet. And there's also a lot more work to do and a lot more flexibility uh, because to really engage people and for the level of performance and thinking and uh, you know integrity that really you need from people in workplaces these days, uh, the workplaces have to deliver more. They have to resonate more with what people are all about, and they're missing it a lot. So, what are some specific things you think they can do? How can they take pay more attention to people? You know, help them along this journey. Well, I'd look at you know sort of core motives in terms of belonging and efficacy and and uh, and autonomy. You know, the ones uh, you know they get a lot of coverage and and psychology. But there, what is is that issue of belonging? That people want to be part of a community. They don't want to just be tolerated as part of the community. They want to be confirmed as valued members of that community and that work is one of those places where it really matters because work is where you can have an impact beyond yourself. It's where you can realize, you know, really the higher end of your 
talents and abilities. And so it really matters as an arena. So being accepted, belonging, being respected as a member of that community is very important. Some people get that. A lot of people aren't getting that when they go to work. They're getting something quite different. Secondly, uh, that sense of efficacy to be confirmed that you're good at something, what you're doing is important, it's making a contribution. Uh, that's a thing which, again, a lot of places are neglectful on confirming people in that way. Uh, and they spend time doing things that are of no particular obvious value to anybody. <laughs> and that really, wasting people's time at work is a very expensive thing for uh, workplaces to do. And that issue of autonomy, people want to be not always on the receiving end of other people's agenda. They want to have that opportunity to make something happen. And you know, I contributed that. I had that some initiative. And a lot of workplaces are too much into control and uh, you know, to really allow that to happen. So we have someone, let's say, listening to this podcast who doesn't feel they're in control in terms of what they're doing in their job. They don't feel really accepted by the workplace. What can they do? How can they start to change things? Yeah, it, it, it's very hard as an individual to start to change things. You have to figure out what leverage do you have. Um, I advise people to take some time. If that's your situation, uh, things aren't going to change fast. So you can take some time <laughs> and you can uh, start tracking uh, of your workdays. When were there times that really were fulfilling for you in these workdays? And when what was some times that were really at the tedious end of things in your workdays? And track that for a while. Uh, your first little strategy can be, what can I do to just nudge things towards doing more of the things that I like here and doing less of the things that I, I really dislike in this particular job. And even if you're working on a larger organizational intervention, you're always looking at nudging things a little bit in the right directions. People, drastic changes within workplaces don't go over very well with people. So you got to take your ambitions down. you got to be patient. <laughs> How can I keep nudging this in the right direction? What can really help is can you identify some colleagues, some friends who can work with me on this, that we can do this as a group effort. I'm not just dumping the bad work on other people. <laughs> We're figuring out ways of, of circumventing it and making things happen. I think an important thing for people to realize about work is that workplaces aren't really all that kind. They're not going to look after you all that well. You've really got to look after yourself. You've got to go into these things with the idea you're taking on a environment that you're not really top of their mind <laughs> at any given time. And so you got to think you're part of this. Like it's a relationship problem. You know, what leads to burnout, these mismatches are really between people in their workplaces. And so you can't solve it all by yourself, but the workplace can't solve it all by itself either. It is this thing where you've got to get a dynamic going. Uh, and to the extent you can talk to you know, your supervisor, leadership about these issues, that's a very powerful kind of thing. Well, let's say you're, you're uh, consulting to an organization and they're going through a process where, let's say, they're losing a lot of people due to burnout, quiet quitting, all these things we hear about. The things are, they're going through a difficult time and they come to you. And what are some of the things you would suggest for an organization in order to reduce the amount of burnout that they're experiencing? Well, I like the data. I've always started, I've always been a researcher. And so I, I do like 
you're working on doing a survey that gets the points of view of people within that organization. There's not going to be a universal problem, you know, that's leading to burnout. There's going to be a lot of distinct pieces for individuals, for work groups, for professional groups within there. And you've got to figure out how that's mapping. And a lot of places don't make very good use. They do surveys without making good use of them. They, they don't have their communication strategy worked out beforehand. They don't know how to really plumb the depths of the data they have in order to really keep that conversation going with people. So I help them with the analysis. I help them with re reading the comments that people make uh, in there. I try to figure out what is it? It's conversation we have to get into now. It's a collaborative process of dealing with burnout in a workplace. So in terms of content, uh, we look at these six areas of work life, of workload, control, reward, community, fairness, and values. And we look at the data and we have a measure for that. And where's the biggest mismatches for this group? What are their issues that they're finding is really a problem? Sometimes, one thing I've worked with a lot is on community, that people have socially toxic workplaces. And then we work on them on doing like a workplace intervention on improving civility, improving respect, improving quality of communication among people within the group. And you're just saying, here's where the mismatch is. Here are people's ideas about what they would like to see changed. And let's start working together with leadership to see what we can bring about there. So we're asking questions like that, really nitty gritty stuff, and seeing that's the needle we want to change. Because we've shown that if you change those kinds of things, it has an impact on the exhaustion, the cynicism that they, they tend to abate when you change those kinds of social dynamics. All right. So, so when you uh, you have an organization, is there an example of where you've applied some of these principles in an organization, and you've seen actual change? And and what kind of changes have you seen as a result of these interventions? We did a number of studies on this with this kind of inter, uh, this kind of intervention in Canada, uh, you know, a number of years ago, and we did show that what you can change the level of civility. People are, uh, you know, responding before and after that. The level of positive stuff is more frequent. The level of negative stuff has gone down, and contrasted with control groups, that it showed no change like that during that time. So we demonstrated that, and it also demonstrated that downstream. Uh, that exhaustion and cynicism within burnout, uh, yeah, those aspects of burnout have diminished during that time as a function of these. And so that it, it improved as a function of better social dynamics. People want to get along, right? If you, they get stuck and you can't get out of it. They get stuck in places where they're not getting along. If you give them a road out of that, some kind of psychological safety framework that lets them get out of it. They'll go along with it, and they'll work to sustain that. And what you'll find, actually, is some people will leave. They don't like that change in the social dynamics. You'll lose some people along the way because things, they, they don't want to be nice to each other. And, you know, you have to swallow that loss. So let's get back to the individual contributor. You got someone who's working at whatever it is they're doing their job. They're on the front line. They're overworked. They're burning out. They're they're exhausted. How far can self help get you? And when do you need something beyond that? The healthier, the stronger, the more confident you are, uh, you're going to be able to uh, you know thrive in a wider 
variety of situations. But, uh, you know, there's a limit to how far that can go. One, you, you, you're going to get so strong and, and uh, things start having an impact. And secondly, there are just things that you shouldn't put up with. Uh, that's the other part of it. And that's where, you know, when we look at the uh, rude behavior at work, like being disrespected at work, it's not something really you're supposed to just get used to. Um, it, it's a problem if you're getting used to that and saying, well, that's okay, people give it. No, actually, it's not okay. It's something that really needs some intervention. So you got to figure out, you know, how tough can you get on this, like in terms of workload, um, you know, what really bothers people about workload is uh, it's not the productive work that does things that you really value. That's not usually what's burning people out. It's more, more often the, the work that seems like a waste of time, like it's imposed upon me, it's, it's poorly organized, so it's infringing into my personal life. Those are the kinds of things that it's not just the amount of work. It's much more the character of the work that really aggravates that exhaustion and whatnot. So I think it's, it's um, uh, you know, there's a certain amount you can expand what you can carry in terms of workload. But uh, if you're not being compensated for carrying more and more beyond the regular you know, structure of a workday, then that's also something you should reflect on. Why am I building myself up in order to be essentially overused <laughs> by, by a workplace that's not fully resourcing what needs to be here? A lot of times what we see, people who are you know sort of self-identifying or being identified as burning out, are, they're not really having that full experience of being exhausted and cynical and discouraged. A lot of them are just exhausted. They really believe in what they're doing. They really think it's important work. They really think they're doing it well. They have confidence. They're not, they're, they've got efficacy. They've got involvement. I'm just tired because the place is under-resourced. Uh, it can work a while if like you're in an extreme emergency situation that you know, you're the only one and you've got it, but it's not a way to structure a work life going forward. It's, you're going to give out eventually. But that first stage of just being exhausted all the time, that's a much more straightforward problem. You can, you know, get people to, uh, you, you can start restructuring the work, uh, get people better opportunities for recovery, for resting, for sleeping, for all of that. But um, that's really different from the full burnout, which is that exhaustion on top of cynicism and hating the job and really being discouraged. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot more of this exhaustion, I guess, post-pandemic and maybe affected by the pandemic. What's been your experience? You've been working in this for quite some time before the pandemic, I'm sure during and and now. What effect are you seeing of the pandemic on burnout? I, well, it's a mixed effect. I think that for uh, there is certainly a slice of the world where particularly exhaustion is much more prevalent. I, I certainly I see it in, in data that that's crept up. It, you know, it's not drastically, but it's definitely at a higher level, and it was already too high before. So that's certainly there. Part of it is that the issue of change, just changing how you're working uh, is an extra burden. And so it takes more energy, it takes more focus uh, in order to adapt to change. So the transition into uh, sort of pandemic mode was a burden in itself. Uh, then, you know, that was during the pandemic, particularly the early part before there were vaccines, it was scary. 
<laughs> it was frightening uh, to have any contact with people. And so, uh, you know, and isolating. Over time, I think what's happening with people who, while they were working from home, what you find is a lot of people want to continue working from home. It was a transition. It was a little hard at the beginning, but actually, it's not so bad. And it also showed that things can change because people, their experience was they were just as productive, if not more so, working from home as they were going into that office. Um, and so there's a skepticism now. I'm getting management saying, well, you have to come in, be productive. And you go, well, no, I don't actually. And, and, and it's, there's a credibility gap there. And management's rather than just saying you must come in, has to do a lot more thinking and communicating about, well, what are we going to get? So there's a credibility gap there. I mean, one, it's demonstrated that the work world can change a lot. Work world can change a lot. And that's reduced people's tolerance for things continuing in a way that doesn't work for them. And uh, so I, I think that that is aggravating. Uh, and then when you look at the quiet quitting kind of thing and the, uh, you know, people just withdrawing from work, uh, actual quitting, <laughs> that uh, a lot of it comes from that. I just sort of, wait a minute, we are not, we're not working together on this thing right now. Wow. So this whole idea of working from home, which we're seeing expanding everywhere, <laughs> do you see that having any influence or effect on the burnout? Does it reduce the burnout? Does it increase the burnout because of the loneliness, isolation? How do you see it fitting in? It's got it, it, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag for people. I think that isolation is definitely a part of what can be happening. The other is, uh, again, managers, leaders have to get a lot better at managing uh, the communications, the Zoom calls and uh, team calls, whatever uh, medium they're using, that a lot of that gets just overused. Managers have to be real careful not to waste people's time. So they've got to figure out how that's all going. So I think it produces, produces other challenges. Uh, it's going to bring benefits to people who, you know, by saving time on commuting, by saving time on uh, you know, the aggravation of uh, uncivil workplaces, uh, which uh, and the other kinds of, uh, you know, unpleasant things can happen uh, among people in a workplace. Uh, it's going to be a positive on that side. And, you know, but it's very uneven. Uh, what kind of house do you have? What kind do you actually have a place where you can set up your office at home? Or are you on the kitchen table with the kids uh, all around your feet? Or what exactly is the situation here? Really varies a lot. So it's, it, you, you got to get it. What's needed are ways of assessing what is your situation? What kind of resources can the employer provide if you're going to be working remotely that way? Uh, and 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 see if if you can get some progress. Okay, we have a lot of leaders who listen to this podcast. So, uh, what could you tell a leader who really cares about the people uh, in their uh, in their organization? They really want to do something, uh, just don't know where to start. What are three things you would tell them? I guess communication is one of them. You really need to find out. Getting a bead on what really is on people's minds, and if they're not freely telling you. Is there a survey format that you can use? Is there some other kind of format you can use in order to get that message indirectly, if not directly to you on what the strains are that people are experiencing, what kinds of parts of their work life are really matching and gelling well for them and what parts are really being mismatched at this point. So that you've got a good beat on what's going on. The other is flexibility uh, to the extent to which uh, you can 
respond to an individual's strain and change a policy, change something about how many days they're coming to work or what, who they're working with or anything about their particular work structure. If you've got some flexibility to exercise it in that way so that people can have different solutions to what's going on. And for managers, that often means for them negotiating upward in order to get the uh, authority, the prerogative to exercise flexibility. A lot of leaders are stuck with very rigid policies within their organization. And one of their first jobs in order to really be responsive to their people is to negotiate up the line for having the capacity to be responsive. And to make the case for all of that, so I think that um, you know, as the, the, the metaphor we use in the book is the canary and the coal mine. That that some people showing signs of burnout are just they're a signal that things aren't really working for people here. Uh, and your job is to start changing things. Uh, so your job as a leader is to be to change things, not just change things, but to change things in response to what's being signaled by your people to about what needs to happen here. That's great, Michael. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed this, and uh, you've provided us with some great information. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. That's the end of our episode. After hearing from Michael, I can't help but think about all the ways to map where burnout is coming from in an organization, including paying attention to those canaries in the coal mine. What a great way to reframe how we think about the people in our organization. But of course, I've got some actionable tips for you today too. Tip one is to pinpoint the things you like doing best at your job and think how you can nudge things just a little so that you get to do more of what you enjoy. A good first step could be as simple as letting people on your team know what things you like doing. My second tip is to consider what a healthy workplace boundary looks like for you. This could mean firmly establishing your working hours when joining a new team or a new project, communicating realistic timelines based on your current workload, blocking time to connect with colleagues, or stretch your legs and prioritizing taking time off. You'll be that much more confident in advocating for your needs if you figured out this ahead of time. And my last tip is for leaders. Make sure the people working with you have enough autonomy to feel like the work they do really matters and be ready to support them if they're experiencing some bumps in the road. I'm Dr. Steven Stein, and I look forward to our next episode of Work Therapy. Let's make work suck less together. <laughs>